Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. All right, so uh, there was a guy, uh, he was uh, on his deathbed, kind of in and out of consciousness, and um, he had uh, some uh, guests who were coming over to the house, some visitors, uh, but uh, he was, you know, sort of, he was in his bed, and he was getting ready to say, you know, his final goodbyes as he could kind of uh, be aware of what was going on, and, but as uh, his, his guests were coming up, it ends up that it was uh, his wife with uh, their pastor and uh, one of his main doctors. And as they were coming through the door, they were kind of in hushed, whispering tones. But the doctor said to the wife, hey, by the way, um, just, you, just, you remember that uh, there's like a $5,000 bill still outstanding for his care up to this point. And she, of course, was like, oh, okay, like, you know, we'll, we'll take care of it. They just, you know, don't, don't worry, uh, we'll take care of it. And, and the pastor, seeing, you know, the opportunity, he jumps in and he's like, hey, by the way, you know, um, the funeral and the casket and all of that, we really would like, you know, that money, it's another $5,000, it needs to, you know, we don't want you to forget it. And she was like, don't, don't worry, you're, you're all going to get, you're all going to get paid. Uh, and so they walk, walk their way over to the bed and, and the man suddenly has a lucid moment and, and he reaches out his hands and and he grabs, on, on one hand, he, he, he grabs the hand of his pastor, and on the other hand, he grabs the hand of his doctor. And then, and, and then with, with all of his faculties, he sort of almost sits up and he says, Pastor, at my funeral, would you tell them that I died like Jesus? And the pastor says, you mean, you mean like, like full of love and poor in spirit? And he goes, no, I mean like, Died between two thieves. <laughs> Your money woes will chase you all the way to the grave. All the way to the grave, maybe even a little bit beyond for those that we leave behind. And, and if you think about this, right, like how much of your lives are actually wrapped up in and around money? You're like, well, no, 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 not really. Just think through. You have like seven hours, you know, seven, eight hours you sleep every day uh, or is what we're supposed to sleep every day. So you've got two-thirds of your day left. The bulk of that is going to be at work of some sort for most of us. And so if you're at school, it's because you're hoping to get a job. And if you're at work, it's because you want a a paycheck. And so you might be working for other reasons, and I certainly hope you are. If not, go back a couple of weeks, and we talked about, uh, you know, faith at work. But, but if, for, for many people, the main reason that you're there is for the paycheck. That means all of that hour, all of those hours can be chalked up to part of this pursuit. And then, afterwards, you, you, you think about money. You, you worry about it. You think about how you don't have enough when you get extra. You think about what you're going to do with it. You think about how much you should be saving. A whole lot of our creativity, of our time, of our energy goes into thinking about planning for our money. If, if it's not that, you're thinking about how to spend it. So even when you go off on a vacation, you're, you, you spend all of this time thinking about how to use your money on that vacation. And when you're there, you think about how much this is costing me. 
I, I, so I, I buy uh, inexpensive vehicles, uh, and so I have a truck. I have a, uh, an old Suburban. I bought it with like 250,000 miles on it, uh, and so like a quarter of a million miles on my old Suburban, and uh, it shows. And, uh, and so recently my wife drove it, which she doesn't really like to do because it's an old Suburban, and so she, uh, she noticed that the headlights were like this. Like you can barely see the street in front of you because they're just like all, all wonky. And uh, now that I see it, she was like, you drive like this? Like, you can't, how can you even see it? I was like, oh, now that you mention it, it is the headlights going up and the right. So now I, I have to figure out how to fix my headlights. And so I'm Googling how to adjust headlights. And so I'm spending time trying to figure out how to save money so that I can take care of the thing that I spent money on. You know, how, this is, every day. A whole lot of your time and energy and creativity is wrapped up around money, your possessions, what to do with them, how to, how, and this is, this is like, it's actually remarkable how much we worry and fret about it. Arthur C. Brooks, he's a Harvard business school kind of a guy, he, he said it like this, he said that money is one of the things Americans worry about most in the world. One survey found that even when the U.S. economy is thriving, more than half of Americans felt anxious or insecure about money, sometimes, often, or all the time. And during the COVID pandemic, another survey found that workers were almost five times more likely to worry about money than their health. That was during COVID. And so people are dying left and right, and people are like, man, I'm really worried about my, my income, my money. Uh, but many of us really don't need to worry about money. Only 11%, by the way, this 11% thing of America, this is like a horrifying way to say it. He's thinking only 11%. This is terrible that 11% of Americans are in poverty, but he's talking to the other people that aren't. So only 11% of Americans live in poverty. And yet, according to a recent survey, more than half of millennials with a net worth greater than 1 million feared losing their wealth a great deal or somewhat, as did more than a third of similarly wealthy boomers. For millions of people, then, worrying about money is not a reflection of whether their basic needs are being met. In fact, this anxiety reflects deeper concerns that money can't solve. We worry about it, we think about it, even though we are some of the wealthiest people that the world has ever seen. We are, we are so far ahead of the generations that have gone before us for thousands of years. And yet we can't stop thinking about and worrying about money. And he's saying, what in the world are we doing? This must reflect something deeper, a deeper concern that money can't solve. And you see, I think what's going on here is that, is that we've actually gotten this all wrong. Because of our values and how we were raised, maybe because of the people that have poured into our lives or because of whatever, the media, whatever it is that, that is most shaping this in us, we actually have this, this really messed up relationship with money. And this is really uh, a quite, quite a, a kind of a fascinating way of us realizing this because you don't think about it because you're so absorbed in it. It's so much a part of who we are and how we think that we don't really think about it and, and, until you start trying to step outside of it. And that's what we're going to do a little bit here. What if there are principles? What if there are truths that will actually help un unravel, to, to shake up this death grip that money has on our lives? 
Now, here's the thing. No one likes talking about money. This is like one of the big taboo topics. We could talk about almost anything else, but nobody really likes talking about money, especially in church. Now, here's the thing. I, I, I have to, so, and I, I know why, because there's been such a massive amount of abuse and, you know, there's all, of, we used to call it fleecing the flock. That was an old term. Anybody remember the fleecing the flock thing? That was a, a word that we used to use. It meant, if, if you were, it, it meant that, the, largely it meant that the pastors were shaking down the, the congregation. That's what it really meant. And so just trying to grab as much money as they can and whatever it was, and airplanes and fancy cars and all that. Fleecing the flock. So we, no one really likes to talk about it. I certainly don't like talking about it, and, and uh, I, I think part of the reason I don't is because I had a really bad experience growing up in my church. Like, I was in one of those churches for a little while that was super obsessed with money. There was always, they would do these faith budgets, right? They would, like, tell us, oh, yeah, here's how much that we expect the church to get, but what we really want is hundreds of thousands of dollars more, um, and in order to get that faith budget, right, we would set it on faith, not what we actually think we're going to get, but on faith, and that faith budget would mean that I got to beat you up for the next 52 weeks uh, in order to hit that faith budget. Like, that's how, that's how it, it often ran. over 52 weeks. And then amazingly, next year, there would be another faith budget. And, and it was just, this is, so yeah, I don't like talking about it. It actually was a season in my life where I walked away from faith. And I spent quite a few years away from faith. And in part, it was tied to this whole attitude uh, about money in the church. But it's, on the other hand, it's also ironic because I, we, in my own life, my wife and I kind of had this moment, this season of our lives where the whole relationship with money got, uh, it, it got devalued and revalued according to biblical principles. And this happened while we were in college. We were young and uh, we were married and we were really starting to think through money and what, it would, what place it would have and the churches that we were a part of then were doing an amazing job talking about money. And so it's ironic that I don't like to talk about it more because of the personal benefits that I have had in my own life. Uh, you know, like, like, like our relationship with money for me and Cheryl, it, it has been, it's been life-giving. It hasn't been draining. Like we, we don't have a marriage where we argue about money. I don't know that I can name five times in all of the years that we've been married where we've actually argued about money or really even had any sort of stress or anxiety about it. And and I'm not saying that as like, wow, you know, we really mastered this money thing. But like, I feel like, like God had really honored a lot of the efforts in, you know, over the course of our lives, such that even when we had seasons that we were, we really had nothing and seasons where we seemed to have uh, more than we needed, it, 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 it didn't seem to have uh, negative consequences one way or the other in our lives. And so you'd think I would be promoting that like from the rooftops and I'd be talking about the the benefit of a biblical understanding of money and I've probably done you a disservice by not actually talking about it more uh, but uh, so no one really likes talking about it uh, I, I probably should be talking about it more uh, we're going to try to rectify that uh, situation certainly starting here uh, as well but the one who really didn't mind talking about money in fact seemed a little bit obsessed about it was Jesus People have done this analysis. They've gone through the, the if you, and if you do this, if you want to sit down and have a great read, read through the Gospel of Luke and just make a note how many times Jesus references money or possessions and the hold they have on us and how, what we ought to do with them and the crazy things that he says about money. Like it, he, he's, he seems like he, he loves talking about it. One guy said that like 16 of like 36 of his parables or something like that had to do with money or resources or finance, something like possessions. 
Uh, another guy went through the whole of the Bible, and he came up with the number 2,000. That's how many verses he believes are in the Bible that have to deal with how we use our money. Like, what in the world? Why is it all the, why is it all the time? You open it up, you turn it up to a new page in the Bible, and it's talking about money. Well, we know why. Now we can see it because it's what we think about. And it's what often pulls us away from God and pulls us away from what he's calling us to do for the kingdom. And, and it, it's, it shows the kind of people that we've become and the kind that we, he, he wants us to become. And so the challenge of the fact that we can't talk about it should show us the power of these idols in our lives. And Jesus will have none of it. Right? We, we talk about how interested, you know, God seems really interested in our, our sexuality, and he is. And he seems really interested in our devotional lives and how much we read and pray, and he is. These are important topics. But if you just measured it out and, and read through the life and the teachings of Jesus, you'd say, wow, he really seems to be uh, concerned about our money, about how we use it, about what it does to our hearts, about how hard it is to resist the temptations and if, so if he is lobbying for us, if he, is, if he is in our corner, if he is trying to strengthen us for the, everything that we need in this life and the life to come, of course he's got to talk about money. Now, we all know what the big problem with money is, right? What's the big problem with money? God, you can say it. You know what it is. We don't have enough, right? Like a couple of you knew it, but I, because I just went on this rant, you're not willing to say it. But that's what we all think. We don't have enough. Almost all of our thoughts about money are if we only had enough. If I had a little bit more, if we had this, if I could do that, I would feel better about this. We could have gone on that kind of a trip. I would have that much in savings. I could do this much in retirement. Do you have enough in retirement? Does somebody, all the algorithms on social media, they must know like how old I am. Because do you have enough in retirement? They're all hitting me with that now. I'm like, you know, wow, I, must I don't know what age that happens where they're like, you better start thinking about it because this, this, we just, that's how we feel. We don't have enough. So I'm praying about this the other day, and I'm like, God, so just, God, how much is, is how, how long is 10 million years to you? How long is 10 million years? And God, he says to me, because this is how God and I roll. I, I ask questions, he answers me. And, and so he said, I said, how, how long is 10 million years? And he says, well, 10 million years for me is like a second. I'm like, oh, man, that's so sweet. That's so beautiful, so vast. So, God, tell me, what is $10 million to you? And God says, well, $10 million to me is like a, it's like a penny. And now we're on a roll. So I say, God, this is amazing. So, God, could you just give me a penny? And God says to me, absolutely, just one second. Nah, okay. So, the, the biggest problem with money isn't that we don't have enough. The biggest problem with money is that we can't take it with us. We can't take it with us. Now, just think this through for a minute. All of that time, all that energy, all that creativity, all that investing, all that planning, all that work, to what end? Because when you're dead, you're dead. So you've done all of this, you had all, this, if, if you live 50, 60, 70 years, let's say you really crush it and you make it to 90, that is nothing in comparison to what comes next. So we've, we've taken the bulk of this time, this little bit of time we have on this little rock, and, and what have we done? We've stressed, we've worried, we've fretted, 
And when we're dead, we're dead. We can't take it with us. And that just ought to change. That whole truth ought to just change our whole relationship with money. That's actually the big problem with it. There is a, a great story that Jesus tells. Uh, it's in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 15. Then he said, Jesus, he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So he's saying there's every type of greed. Guard your heart. Life isn't measured by how much you own. Now let that sink in for just a moment. What is the, what is the main thing that we value? The way that we talk about things, so the way the things that we're fretting about, we're thinking, it's about, it's about this. It's about how much we own, how much we own in, in investments, how much we own in property values, how much we own in straight-up stuff, how much we own. It, this, he's, Jesus is cutting right through it here, and he's getting right to what's really valuable in our hearts. It is not measured. What if the whole of your life got turned upside down and you started living by that one principle alone? That it is not, you are not measured by how, God doesn't look at you. He doesn't look at your life and say, I'm going to size you up right now. Let me see your bank account. Let me see the size you have. Let me see what's in your garage. Let me see what's in your storage unit. Let me see what's in your other storage unit. He doesn't, this is not who, what God is doing. You are not measured by what you own. This is so counter to what everyone else in the world is telling us. This is straight up radical teaching from Jesus. And then he tells them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. Which, by the way, if this were not in the context and if Jesus wasn't saying it, we would put this up on like a Dave Ramsey wise investment strategies kind of a thing. We would be like, this is Financial Peace University. If you have resources, you should collect those resources. You should save those resources. You should put them in an investment portfolio. You should make it do double time and work for you and, and tear down that barn and build a bigger barn. That's a CD. That's a, that's a 401k, right? This is, you're prepping for your future. All my wheat and all my other goods. And then, verse 19, I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now, take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. We call that retirement. Eat, drink, take it easy. Be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. You fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Can you, uh, Jesus is putting in the mouth of the Father this insult. You fool. You don't, I don't, maybe you don't think about God talking to us this way. God's like, if you think money is where it's at, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. You, could, you should have seen it better. This is how Jesus wants us thinking about God's view of those of us that want to continue to cling to money by the values of this world. It was, I think it was uh, John de Rockefeller, who's one of the wealthiest people that ever lived. I heard the story that one time uh, after he had died, they asked him, uh, they asked his accountant, they said, uh, so how much did uh, old Mr. Rockefeller leave behind? You know the answer. All of it. He left all of it behind. That's what the accountant was trying to tell him. He's like, what do you think he took anything with him? 
He left it all behind, just like you will, and just like you will, and just like I will. You leave all of it. Randy Alcorn, he wrote a great little book called The Treasure Principle. He said it like this. When Jesus warns us not to store up treasures on earth, it's not just because wealth might be lost. It's because wealth will always be lost. Either it leaves us while we live or we leave it when we die. No exceptions. Realizing its value is temporary should radically affect our investment strategy according to Jesus. Storing up earthly treasures isn't simply wrong. It's just plain stupid. Just plain stupid. This is countercultural. Now, here's the, here's the beautiful part about this. This problem with money that we actually can't take it with us also points to the most exciting opportunity. And this is, this is what I just love about the way that Jesus just flips these things on, his, on its head time and again. So listen, listen to what he says here now in Matthew. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. So just keep this in mind. Storing up treasures, collecting the things, investing in the things, all of that creative energy that we're talking about. Don't store up your treasures here on earth. Moths eat, rust destroys, thieves break in. Store your treasures in heaven. Who even knew this was a thing? Who knew this was even a category? I mean, this, we, we just, we're so familiar. We just read through these things. We're like, oh, Jesus, he's giving us these pithy little statements. They're so cool. They're so clever. Just, just think this through for a moment. Temporal resources can be leveraged in eternity. You store up treasures. That means you're doing it here, now, for later. That means investments that you make now can have eternal dividends. This is any, this, you want to talk about a long-term investment strategy? This is a long-term investment strategy. One that we would never have even imagined possible. Where moths and rust cannot destroy, thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. See, Jesus isn't against you investing in your future. He's just telling us that we're, we're, we're not thinking far enough into our future. You're still only thinking about the next 70 years. Okay, 70 years for you guys. For you guys over here, you're, you think about the next 10 years. Sorry. Just, it's closer to the door, so the older people, we tend to stay in the bed. No, I'm just kidding. We put the younger people up front because they get walked easier. I'm totally distracted right now. So... Imagine, imagine shifting our mentality and getting away from a 10 or 20 or 50 or 70 year investment strategy and thinking about a 700 million year investment strategy. 100 million year invest. He's telling us what we do now will be stored up for us and waiting. Randy Alcorn, he says it like this in another place. If we give instead of keep, if we invest in the eternal instead of in the temporal, we store up treasures in heaven that will never stop paying dividends. You hear that? That will never stop paying dividends. 
Whatever we store up on earth will be left behind when we leave. Whatever treasures we store up in heaven will be waiting for us when we arrive. This, this can transform everything about the way we think, fret, worry, feel, invest, the way we give it away, how quickly we, we let money flow, flow into and out of our ownership, out of our possession. So you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Turn to the person next to you and tell them, you can send it on ahead. Go ahead. Now we're talking about money in church. You tell them. You can set, tell, talk to the person behind you. Turn around, tell the person behind you, you can send it on ahead. Because you probably don't know the person behind you. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. A little less awkward than talking to the person that you happen to come with. A couple of you are sitting with the person who you walked in with and you're still not willing to talk to them about money. That's really funny. So what do we need to do to send our money on ahead? What do we need to do? Well, I think the first is a shift. To, to pursuing generosity in every, on every occasion. In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul, the way that he, same, uh, Apostle Paul, the way he's talking about this, he says, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Now just think this through, to be generous in every, in every time, in every opportunity. This is a totally different value about, uh, that we have about wealth. And if you want to transform the way that you interact with money and the hold that it has, then you've got to go after the values of it first. You've got to see your heart shifted. We've been told that, you know, you get money, God blesses you. If, if God has blessed you, right, hashtag blessed, right, you'll see people that they'll post on it. They'll say, I'm feeling so blessed. I, I got that fancy new car. Look, God, he must love me. And that's what we think. We have this idea in our heads that, like, God, he's, he, like, really, really cared about us. And so he gave us this excessively expensive item, whatever it is, vacation or whatever it might be. This is what we do. This is the, we've bought into the mentality of this world. But what if that wasn't it at all? What if that was never the reason? Well, that's not even the purpose of our wealth. Because from everything we've seen from Jesus already, he's trying to unravel these things that are in our hearts and make us think differently about them. What if instead the purpose of wealth was that, that you're a steward? Because we see that picture in the scriptures, that God has actually entrusted his resources to you. What if when you get a whole big financial windfall, it isn't a blessing at all, it's a test? Have you ever considered that? That God's actually testing you to see how you will, how are you doing on that? Because we know he's willing to pass a judgment on it. We know he's willing to call you a fool or an idiot. Gosh, that's rough. And yet that's what we see. Maybe instead, the reason that we have the wealth as what it was, I think Randy said, Randy Alcorn again, I think he said, maybe God gave you that money not to increase your standard of living, but to increase your standard of Giving, it rhymes. Preachers love that kind of stuff. Not your standard of living, but your standard of giving. Every time somebody gets a raise at work, is that because you're supposed to increase your standard of living, drive a better car, move into a better neighborhood? Maybe you were given those increases. Maybe you scale back your life to increase your standard of giving. Not your standard of living. You see, these are just a handful, a smattering of ways that we start to unravel the values and embrace new values. There's king. Maybe God gave you resources because there's so many needs in the kingdom. Maybe that's it. Another way that we can send money on ahead is to practice 
tithing. Now, the tithe is straightforward enough, right? The tithe started way, way, way back in the Old Testament, even before the law was given. And the tithe was 10%. That's what the word just means. It means 10%. And so the Israelites would give 10% of whatever they had to the temple. It was to support the tabernacle first, and then the, the, the temple, the sacrifices, the Levites, the priests, all of the work and the repairs. And, the, and, and so why? Because God had intended that his people would have a centralized worship experience, a centralized uh, worshiping community. There would be festivals, and there would be certain times of the year, and there would be these big old parties, and there would be these great fasts, and they would do it corporately. They would come together like we do here at a local church, and they would say, this is what God has called us to do. And the people would gather, and they would give the resources over to the people to continue to pr provide those kinds of things, to look out for people, to care for the, the needs within the community, all those kinds of things. And so those things would happen. That's what the tithe was for. Interestingly, the tithe wasn't in any way like a negotiated thing. It wasn't like, oh, if you feel like it, that's your thing. It was just God said, here is the, the number. And, and I, I actually, even after the first service, somebody and I were talking about this. And, and the way he, he spoke about it made me realize that I think God gave us the tithe, a number, a 10%, as a gift. Because it's so easy for us. If you, if you wanted to feel super spiritual, it would be very, very easy for you to say, look, I, I'm giving away 50, 60, 80% of my giving, of my money. And you could actually turn around and almost be arrogant about that. You could also go the other direction and say, well, if I don't have an actual number, I have competing values. I'm trying to, I'm trying to you know, watch out for my kids. I'm trying to provide for them. I'm trying to look out for my aging grandparent, my parents, or whatever it might be, right? So you have these competing values. It would very easy, be easy for us to say, well, obviously all of these things are really important, and God would want me to do all of these things. And I think having the number is, is actually freedom, which I hadn't really considered before, but it feels to me like a freedom, like you know that you can be a faithful giver, you could be faithfully generous at that number. That's what God has actually required of us. So much so that he says, test me in this. And when you don't give it, he accuses us of robbing him, which is a mind-blowing concept that we're robbing God. The book of Malachi talks about that if we don't give the tithe. And so I, I think the number, in the number is actual freedom. Now, a lot of Christians, and what I've grown up with is people will say, well, yeah, but that was Old Testament, not New Testament. This is super popular, by the way. It's not how I feel led. It's just, it's not, it's not, you know, I don't want to be legalistic about these things. And of course, we don't want to be legalistic about anything, but let's just think this through. They say Jesus never taught the tithe. When Jesus mentioned the tithe, he affirmed it. He did not dismantle it. He didn't say, you have heard that it was said. Tithe, I tell you, forget that. He never did that. In fact, he affirms it and then so much more. So where do we get off on this idea that says that, that this is not a thing for us, that we don't... Well, I, th I, I think it shows the idolatry in our hearts again. I don't think we like this because of what it actually, what it means, what the ramifications are. Why in the world? Where, where do we, all right, so in the Old Testament, God says to his people, be compassionate. And we turn around and say, yeah, but for New Testament Christians, we could do less. God says to us in the Old Testament, you know, make sure you're, you, you remain faithful and you don't worship idols. And we say, well, New Testament, we get to do less than that. Because in the New Testament, we're, we're spirit-filled Christians. We, we can do less love, less... Jesus comes on the scene. He's like, you're going to pray for your enemies now. 
You guys said, you heard that lust, you, you heard that adultery was bad? I'm telling you lust is bad. You heard that murder was bad? I am telling you that anger is bad. The, the New Testament follower of Jesus, we have the resurrection power. We have resources given by the Holy Spirit of God in us. Why do we think less will be required of us in this? We are, we are in the wealthiest nation. We are some of the wealthiest people. God poured out all this wealth so we could do less with it? I, I, so I, I don't even understand. This just shows how wrapped up we've become in, in all of these areas and how, how hard it is to pull these things back. I think for us as followers of Jesus, we could do so much more because we have resources that others don't have and haven't had. And I think Jesus looks on that and he says, this is a gift and it's a test. The tithe matters. And for us, for Cheryl and me, we've been practicing giving of the tithe to our local church since college. And it has been for us a great discipline. It's helped rewrite for us the value of money and whose it really is and why we do it and what does it mean. And, and, and you know, I actually went through, um, I did a quick little, a little dive into uh, our own giving as a congregation. I kept it super generalized. And I just took the number of people that call Beacon Church home by indication that they give something of some sort to the church and that they attend regularly to something that we do. And then I took the average household income in Nassau County. So assuming that we represent the average in all of Nassau County, not like middle, upper, north shore, but, but whole Nassau County, assuming that we represent the average, if we, if we as a congregation actually tithe, because a lot of people, we think we tithe, we sort of think researchers say most Christians still give like 2 to 3%, not a tithe. I, just doing the straight up raw numbers, it would double the resources that our church has to continue to do the work of the kingdom, just like that. If tomorrow all of us actually tithed, double the resources. Imagine if in every church across Long Island, all of the Christians decided that we would just follow Jesus in this and we just flip that switch and tomorrow we all tithe, millions of dollars of resources would flow into this mission field. The harvest is plentiful. Workers, few. We could double up, triple up. We could, we could have workers that, that were being trained locally. We could start schools. We could start more churches. There would be a, a, just a, a, a replicating of impact in all of these communities. We would have local and foreign missions. We would have all of these local ministries being supported in new ways. Just like that. If we just followed Jesus in this one thing. God's plan to fund the mission of his people is the tithe. But then it gets, after that, that's just sort of the plain, like, basic training wheels uh, of generosity thing. The other way that we get to think about sending our money on ahead is to actually purposefully give above and beyond. And you'll hear us talk about this sometimes. We think the tithe goes to the local church, but that's not where the Jesus people need to stop. We get to actually manage our life's lives in such a way and our resources in such a way that we can give above and beyond that. And how much? How much should a person try to give above and beyond? I don't know. 
The scriptures are open. They give us no number. For some people, right, so in the tithe, it's proportional. So a poor person with very few resources, under-resourced person, they give 10%. And a wealthy person gives 10%. Obviously, the wealthy person gives more, but both are being just as faithful with the tithe. But if you are a widow and you put in two copper pennies, Jesus looks at that and says, she's blessed. She's given more than anyone here. Because that's how Jesus reckoning. That's his kind of accounting. And a super wealthy person might have tons and tons and tons of resources. And they can single-handedly launch a church financially. And Jesus looks at that and he says, well done. Well done. See, this is the beauty about giving above and beyond. He doesn't give us a number, which means you need to talk to him about it. And I think that's part of the reason he doesn't give us a number. He actually, now you get to be led by the Spirit in these ways, and you're driving down the road, right? What does he say? Every single thing is remembered. You give a cup of water to someone in need, it's remembered. You give a bicycle to a kid in the neighborhood who doesn't have one, and it's remembered. There's like some scribe in heaven with the worst possible job, just recording everything that's going on. And, and, and that's it. They're just, they're recording, and they're remembering, and all of these things will be added to your account in some mind-blowingly mystical, weird way that we don't really understand, but the promises of it, Jesus says a hundred times more. I'll multiply whatever you do. You cannot outgive me. I will multiply that faithfulness, that little act of goodness, that kindness, that generosity, that compassion. And you get to do this at your heart's content. And it makes your heart content. This is the whole idea of it's more blessed to give than to receive because this is what happens when you start to give above and beyond. I'll give you just one example. There's a bigger one. There's always little ones that we can always, there's hundreds of examples of this at the church. People doing small group stuff, gathering up money and giving it to someone in need and helping them pay for medical bills and, and all of that kind of stuff goes on here at the church all the time. You guys are, are, are very, very uh, attentive to each other in these ways and I just love it. I love hearing the stories about it. Recently, we started talking about uh, the need for a church van for our youth group. We've never had one before, and the last couple of years it's been getting a little crazy with all of the vans we've had to rent for all the missions trips and snow camp and all this. So we started saying, you know, maybe we should look into buying our first church van. It's maybe about that time. It seems like we're way past the size that we could actually afford this and do this. And so we started talking about it. Somebody heard that we were talking about it, and they said, hey, I'd like to help out with that. I'm like, well, yeah, okay, that's, that'd be great. Like, you know, we'll, we, we're going to plan on like pulling it from, you know, savings or something or asking some folks or whatever. Sometimes we just kind of behind the scenes uh, will say to a couple people, hey, do you want to help us out and buy a van or something? Um, and uh, they said, you know, they were like, yeah, I'd like to. And I'm like, all right, well, like, that's great. Like, what are you thinking? Uh, like, you know, because, <laughs> you know, it's like 50 bucks. I mean, that's a great thought. I love it. It's super sweet. But, like, it's going to fill the tank uh, of the van that we don't yet have. Uh, won't fill the tank uh, right now. But, but they were like, you know, we're going to, I think we can do like 20,000. Okay, looks like we're getting a van. So I talked to the ministry leadership team. They're the only ones at our church that actually set the budget or change the budget. The staff don't do that. I don't do that. So we have a board that, that approves all of the expenditures and budget items. And they were like, yeah, I think it's time. Just like that. Above and beyond generosity. This is already a generous family. We have dozens and dozens and dozens of stories like this that go on here in the congregation. There is so much joy. You hear, you feel, you think you're led. You listen to what the Spirit is saying, and then you do what the Spirit is calling you to do. And it's a fantastic place to live. God says, test him in this. Jim Elliott, one of my favorite quotes, he said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
No fool. You're not an idiot to give away what you cannot keep in order to gain something you cannot lose. Would you pray with me, Lord? What we're asking for is that you would make us these kinds of people, Lord. Whatever uh, offense that I have caused today that isn't from you, I pray, Lord, that you would just um, remove that and make this uh, message work uh, in the way that you intended it to in the hearts, Father. And if there is any challenge or uh, offense that you intended, I pray, Lord, that you would settle that deep in our hearts, that we would be challenged by your word. Lord, you intended it. These passages that we read were meant to challenge us. They were meant to rewrite our values. Why? Because we know you desperately love us and you realize the grip that money has on us. Father, help us profane money and wealth. Help us reset the source of our security and our comfort. Tear down these idols in our lives, Lord, and and may we, as a church family, may we be known as the most generous of people, sacrificial, faithful in our giving. May we be open-handed, Lord, that the resources you've entrusted to us flow quickly and freely out as your spirit leads. We ask it in Christ's name. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.